Do you know who you are? I'm Rob. Wait a second, I got to put the script up, otherwise I don't know who the hell I am. <laughs> Two years into this. I don't know who I am. Wait a second, I'm, okay. That, that's script a question for your therapist. I'm Rob. And I'm Artie. And welcome to Tradesplaining, a podcast that tries to make sense of international trade, business, and expat life without putting you to sleep. Well, already episode 41 marks the end of 2022. This gives us a chance to revisit the main developments over the year, rate how well we predicted them, spoiler alert, of course, really, really well. We'll throw in a few points on listener feedback, sneak in a news roundup, and insert a few jokes. That is our core competency. So without further ado, let's get into it. Well, everybody, welcome to episode 41. You'll be happy to know that that is the atomic number of niobium. It's a light gray, crystalline, and ductile transition metal. Its name comes from Greek mythology, Niobe, daughter of Tantalus, also the namesake of Tantalum, which, funnily enough, is a really, really exotic metal used in watchmaking. <laughs> Always bring it around to that. Yeah, I, I do what I can. 41 is also, you'll be happy to know, Rob, the number of the first Bush president. Who can forget? Before becoming president, he gave us such terms as voodoo economics. I know that's not a pun for people who don't like tariffs. And also, read my lips, no new taxes, right before he raised them. 41 is also the amount of times I hate-watched Harry and Meghan's Netflix documentary. And it's also the age at which Rob got his first cellular telephone, as they called him back then. 1997, yeah. Not far off. Not time. You, you watched Saved by the Bell, and you were like, I need that, that phone that Zach is using. <laughs> Incidentally, I realized Harry and Meghan were right after the, do- after the documentary. It was very helpful. That's not the, it's not the time I'm not really ready to rant yet. I've, I've watched it 41 times, actually. <laughs> because I needed to make sure that my feelings were true. But that's neither here nor there. We've had a wonderful year up. It's been full of major developments. Why don't you start us off by letting us know what are some of the ones that are notable for you? Yeah, one of the big ones for us was the PERMA excuse. That's your head injury. So pretty much anything you want could be attributed to that. My head is actually fine. It's mainly the the brain trauma. The head, yeah, the the head is still still beautiful. The head is fine because I guess that whole adage of, of Balkan people being hard-headed or Albanians in particular came in handy. The brain, not so much though. So it's still, you know, still a little well, sore. According to you, the nose also provided some, some important cushioning. Yeah. Cushioning. Yeah. It didn't break. It's still, <laughs> that's still beautiful as ever, man. We should also mention that Michelle heroically stepped into the breach while I was on R&R and seeing stars like the uh, Coldplay song. Valentina also started this year after a rigorous interview process, I might mention. So we're quite happy to have her. And as I said, to have Michelle have jumped in so effortlessly and efficiently. Also making me look bad. Yeah, we had quickly, we had to quickly shuffle her back into producer. She's actually outshining me like Harry and Meghan. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm, I'm their Prince William. You're the queen. Yeah, exactly. You're Prince William. I'm the queen. Yeah, <laughs> when I'm not the talent. We had another big development, our first in-person interview with Bryce Bashak. A Bloomberg. That was fantastic. And it's actually good to know that he's actually, uh, listeners are real. They're not just related to us. Yes, yes. It was scary. But in a good in way. In a good way. It was good that we actually meet in person after, you know, starting this podcast during COVID and all that, all the things that come with it. It was good to finally do an in-person interview. I also think for me, forgetting the whole trade stuff, the advent of the word vibe shift was a big one for me. Huge. And I think this is, as I slowly move into boomerification, as I get older, the Figuring out what the vibe shift was, 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 was a big deal for me. And I'm glad that Michelle was here to. Do you want to briefly describe what it is? I I would have to ask her again. I didn't write that. (laughs) Moving on. (laughs) 
And I guess it's been, it's been also a major year for Geneva's trees. I mean, we had, we had some rogue tree planting. We had some rogue tree cutting. We had some storm damaged trees. It's been quite a year. And I know you, you know, you've been also watching out for Geneva's birds, other flying creatures, the gigantic the dead iron. bat. An iron feather, my personal and favorite. I could forget that one. The anti-drone um, patrol. I don't know. I think this, it just shows how much this podcast has changed that we're talking about trees and arbicide and things like this. I, for one, miss the stories about shrimp being smuggled across the France-Swiss border. But maybe that's just me and my... Yeah. Uh, I mean, when are we going to get back to, to the way it was when we were smuggling busloads of, of, of Spanish ham? It's mainly because you were consuming it. So you had an invested interest in making <laughs> Folks, sure that I it can't got tell there. the difference. If it's been in a garage, a Portuguese garage just over the border and it's smuggled in and a stolen bus, probably just as good. If it smells like exhaust fume, you know where it came from. It smells like a carburetor, you know where it's from. Finally, we admittedly did take a long break between this episode and the previous one. And once again, we should clarify that it is Rob's fault. Is my track on? Sorry, is my track on? It it got cut off for that part. You didn't hear it, but it's fine. It's not not important. The good news is that we'll be able to churn out episodes as frequently as we want to. Moving forward, thanks to ChatGPT. I don't know if you heard about this, Rob, but it's basically a robot who's going to take our jobs we will be able to use it to write, record, and edit each episode. And essentially, as I said, this means that we'll be reduced to poor man's voice actors. So thank you, Richard Baldwin. I'm not sure they're using AI to replace unpaid work. Is that a thing? Is that, is that a developer? It's, an, it's AI. It doesn't say paid anywhere. I don't know. Yeah, we should we should actually do one episode 100% chatbot. Yeah, I don't know how I feel about Separate. that. This is, this is like a, the AI version of Prince Harry and Meghan stealing my thunder. I, and I don't think it stays. I think Megan's sincere. I don't know what you're saying. I believe her when she says she didn't know anything about who Prince Harry was before she met him. She looked at his Instagram to find out who he is as a person. So, if, for example, if people looked at my Instagram, they would know that I'm basically a mountain guide who goes uh, snark, snark, snorkeling and scuba diving. And that's well, really I who I actually, am as a I person. Mean, let's face it. If she'd actually Googled him, she might think he was boring. I mean, would you, is he I'm very sure compelling? He's rich, which is, yeah, I guess, the most thing. important thing. Yeah, this whole royal thing, yeah. Or, or was until uh, they cut the umbilical cord. Does he have zero allowance now? You obviously haven't seen the documentary. I got I got through the first the 30 minutes of it, and I really felt like, oh, there's a big injustice here somewhere. I don't, I don't, I don't <laughs> know if I'm going to take six hours of my life to figure it out. So The uh, injustice is the time that you're never going to get back having spent whatever amount of minutes I've been told to watch the first and last episode, so I'm two-thirds of the way through the first episode. Who, who told you to watch the last episode, for God's sake? They said that would be a summary. It's it's obviously my wife. Is that where you want to go with this? Yes, it was my wife. No, I was going to say, don't answer that. Also, don't do that. <laughs> episode six is maybe the worst episode. Isn't that where we hear about this network of grannies that's curling anti- I think that's mainly episode five. I'm interested to see the the network of, of trolling grannies. British grannies. I was more um, impressed that they had the wherewithal to know that, you know, they had this, this home video footage just lying around. That's exactly what, um, just, that's just like a home video. Knew. Yeah, exactly. It's almost yeah. as if they knew they would need it to record a Netflix documentary at some point. I don't know. Maybe that's my cynical side speaking. Do you think speaking. we should start doing that? Like the Rob and Artie documentary? Do you think like Netflix yep. is going to want this in a year? After my grandma cuts me off, we'll definitely get a Netflix documentary. It's just like, I can just I, see like a close-up video with my iPhone. It's like, yes, we just got here. We just got here. I was at the airport. Hardy's <laughs> grandma hates me. Exactly. So this takes us to the next segment, Artie, which I'm going to start off because you're the one who kind of is in the know on these news it's items. Usually you, it's, it's usually you who's responding, but now we're going to reverse We're going to pervert, we're gonna pervert this around because you're going to introduce the items and I'm going to come up with pearls of wisdom. 
I hope. So I'm still reading them. As, as, as you speak, I'm still reading them. So it's usually what happens. It's the stuff that went on this week's segment. Obviously, a little bit of a news recap, and then we're going to go into the five or six big developments that we've seen over the course of the year. So just in terms of latest recent developments, you've been kind of combing the wires, and there's actually some really interesting stuff in trade. And one of those things is that We've been talking about accompanying these to trade, one of those being antitrust and, and managing anti-competitive practices. And the EU is actually taking steps in this area in digital and others. Tell us about that. Yeah. So as you very wonderfully briefly alluded to, antitrust is still a thing. Again, it's mainly in the EU. A lot of people will say, you know, the, the, the negative that they hit the EU with is that they don't really do anything. You know, there's no new generation of companies. It's not so entrepreneurial, et cetera. A lot of that is true, but one thing that the EU does have is a huge market. And so with that, they're able to lead the way in terms of regulation and sort of tailoring the way global uh, global companies are able to behave. So, for example, they've recently charged Meta with antitrust violations. And I don't know why we have to call it Meta. It's basically Facebook with the facelift. We have to, So they charged Meta with antitrust violations linked to its marketplace recently. They also teamed up with the U.S., surprisingly, to recently talk about what they're going to do against everybody's favorite Elon with regards to Twitter, how he's been firing people. I, w- I won't go into it because it's really been all over the news, so it's been talked about ad nauseum, but basically not great. It's kind of a dumpster fire. And also Amazon was the target of the EU's antitrust regulation market, and they agreed a deal with the EU to end their long-running probes on on data. And then finally, there's we talked a bit about this at the beginning of the year, may have been the end of 2020, I can't remember, but there was a lot of movement on the global minimum tax. Kind of hit a pause at some point throughout 2022. We didn't really hear about it, but now the EU is set to carry that big stick or a carrot. It's a bio, it's a bio carrot in any case. It's, 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 a, it's a healthy carrot. Yeah, locally and grown. They're set to, yeah. And they're set to move ahead with their own form of the global minimum tax. And the kick here is that they're leading the way in this, they're, Many sort of people watching this are, are assuming that this will lead to a domino effect as the EU will have to follow its lead on implementing this global minimum tax or otherwise be left behind. I, th- I think I agree with you entirely. The EU is leading the way on things like antitrust, on things like regulation. So we've heard also on the areas of sustainability, deforestation, green finance, and many that they're, they're, they're coming through with this wave of, of regulation. And you've also pointed out this issue on competition law, which we've mentioned is a big big issue. And we've seen over the course of COVID, although now there's been a bit of a hiccup, big companies getting bigger and getting stronger. So I think it's, mm. it's for trade. My view is for trade, this is actually a good thing because it's mm. going to deal with an issue trade can't really deal with. It's not right. up to WTO and negotiators to deal with anti-competitive practices. And I think you're right. You know, once the EU goes, that's, that's the biggest market, let's say the, the juiciest market in the world, 900 million consumers, very rich, very well-dressed consumers fit 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 most fit. of them at least i'm like an i'm like an ogre walking <laughs> yes, around geneva exactly. compared to and the last point you made was about it, the, the the global minimum tax and the u.s having to follow the eu maybe it's a little bit the other way around with chi- the chips act and the inflation reduction act on the u.s side is causing the europeans mm. to have to catch mm. up where they feel like it is explore that a little bit more yeah so that's the next thing we wanted to talk about and that is these trade tensions seem to be getting worse so the ira just a great name choice, by the way, has made a lot of people angry. And the one thing that has united the UK and the EU since Pharrell songs were a global hit has been this Inflation Reduction Act. So Britain has joined the EU recently in criticizing Biden's green subsidies packages. They've also criticized the US of breaking WTO rules with their green energy incentives. And Europe 
is afraid that again they'll risk falling behind as you said uh, an opposite version of what we're, we talked about with the regulation that the eu is is putting forward so the eu it seems will be forced to follow through with their own sets of green subsidies so it's sort of a, a subsidy war if you will they also recently in a big development they also recently struck a deal to tax imports based on greenhouse gas emissions we won't go into the details maybe we'll spend a We'll have an interview guest coming on in in the next year to talk a bit more in detail about what that actually means and how the mechanics would would function. But that's a big move, as again, the EU represents a big, big market, as you alluded to. And again, this this carbon border tax will be a big deal. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. And again, this, we had, we spent 2022 talking about how, you know, eventually it'll all get worked out, the better angels of our nature will prevail, et cetera. But it seems to be getting worse before it gets better. These, these attentions we didn't think that we would be seeing play out throughout the whole year. I think Macron was just in a visit to the U.S. and obviously he took a big opportunity to take lots of photos and showed that he was being strong for French consumers, which I know you are one of them now, Rob, since you're in your chateau in France. But I don't know how you feel about that. I think it's really interesting that so we got things we think are generally good, green subsidies, you know, finally the U.S. taking up its responsibility to to look at sustainability, to look at, you know, energy transition, to look at, you know, electric vehicles and all this. But it's being done in a way that's rightly viewed as protectionist. So it's favoring U.S. Mm-hmm. manufacturers and so on. So the EU's taken, you know, two tasks. One is you shouldn't be doing this because we're all free traders. And the other one is actually we should be doing this. We should be subsidizing our own guys. We should We should mm-hmm. have our own battery manufacturing. And so I think we, and, and their CBAM, their, their carbon border adjustment mechanism on their side also could be seen. This is a revolutionary. I mean, it's absolutely revolutionary. I think the Australians tried it once and, re- and revoked it immediately. So this is, this is also can be seen as, as a, as a protectionist measure. And I'm sure a lot mm-hmm. of developing countries will see it that way. And I'm sure the U.S. will see it that way. So it's, it's really interesting. You could call it rise of, you know, long term vision on energy transition and green. You can also call it mm. new protectionism. Right. And it's the same that I mean, uh, the U.S. did with the CHIPS Act that we talked about in the you know, last episodes in the last quarter of last year. I mean, this year. I, I think this this is highlight sort of a 2022 maybe looked back as sort of the year that the world's consciousness was finally raised on the effects of climate change and, and their environmental responses that we're going to need to have in terms of regulation and how governments will respond. It's probably not every. It, well, it's not probably, it definitely is not everything that needs to be done to get there. But I think when we look back on this, if we're still alive, if we're not roasting somewhere. Beautiful. Then, knock, on wood, please knock on wood, folks. Yeah, knock on my head. So it's good luck. That this will be the the year that we see that, you know, governments really started to act finally. Because I think much like the EU is following the inflation reductions, I'm not going to call it the IRAs act again because, you know, it just doesn't work. <laughs> much like they're following the, the U.S. on the Inflation Reduction Act, I think the U.S. will be forced to adjust and adjust course on, on the carbon border tax as well, whether they like it or not, because it'll raise costs for U.S. companies and they'll want their own sort of measures reciprocated from the U.S.'s part and so on and so forth. I think for the carbon border adjustment, you and I would be, are excited about such a thing because this is the time when companies are actually going to have to measure. And it's not mm-hmm. in every industry, so it's in the heavy industries for now. They're going to have to measure, they're going to have to report on. We're going to see the impact and we're going to try to get away from exporting carbon, which for instance, the U.S. has done to China. So China over the past, I don't know, 15 years, I'm slightly liberal with statistics here, tripled their emissions for their own growth, but also for manufacturing to export to the United States and elsewhere. Whereas our carbon per, per unit, per person is going down. Our emissions are going down per, per capita. Mm. 
It, if it, you it, include Chinese emissions for the exports that, that we're using and I, in the U.S., they might not be going down. It'd be a very different picture. So I'm excited to see it's a massive measurement thing. It's a massive potentially bureaucratic paperwork thing, trade distorting, if you want to put it that way, or undistorting. But I'm excited to see what happens. And, and that's not even including CalFarts. With that said, the other thing that really stuck out to me, and this is quite recent in the last couple of weeks, the U.S. and WTO are again in the spotlight, and it's not for great reasons. So chief among them is national security. So the WTO has been put on, quote unquote, thin ice, according to the U.S.'s trade representative, Catherine Tai. That is because the WTO ruled against the U.S. U.S.'s metal tariffs, which are put in place by, funnily enough, the Trump administration are being kept in place by the Biden administration. In any case, the U.S. has been citing national security concerns, and they're telling the WTO that it's not up to them to tell the U.S. what is and what isn't a national security concern. So this raises a lot of questions, which actually I kind of naively, maybe slightly naively, put to the side a few months ago earlier this year when I said, well, hey, maybe it is a national security concern. Rob had actually, remember, Rob, you had actually come out and said that, hey, this is serious. This could lead to a slippery slope. And I'm paraphrasing here, of course. But it seems to have come to a, a head uh, and it's not in a great way. So we're not really sure what's going to happen because the U.S. has kind of put its nose up at the ruling and the, U and the U.S. is supposed to be a one of the biggest backers of the WTO. So it puts an interesting twist on what has already been a interesting couple of years. I think it's fascinating because you've got Biden, Biden administration defending a Trump administration policy that we all, at, before it was put into place, we all would have said was crazy incompetent, mm. negligent, malpractice. You know, we would have used every word in the book. Now they're defending say, it because the I would say Biden's a strong president. Yeah, sleepy. And, but and you're an idiot. Thank you for that for that important dialogue. Then we and, and now we have but the principle of national security, it's hard to you, you can't let the WTO adjudicate it. That so mm. now we're stuck because in, in a way the US supporting this position also supports manipulations of the system the Russians have used and mm. the the Chinese, you know, I'm sure are, are are in the process of using. So we have, you know, all these 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 situations where social security as a as a concept needs to be defended, even though we think of course to be the ones deciding when it's applicable. And of course, right. before the, the the Trump tariffs and, and a couple of other areas. We would have said it's been, you know, nobody's abused it. But I think now we do think it's, at least in my view, it's clearly been manipulated as a concept. Mm -hmm. However, you know, the, I, I, I understand completely why the Biden USTR is in the position of having to defend it. So we're, we're, it, and it is a slippery slope because it, again, it's the US kind of undermining the authority of the WTO for, you know, for, for reasons that are well understood. On the other hand, of course, saying we want to build it up, saying we're in favor of reform, doing a lot of the right things now. So, you know, those of us who live in Geneva, we want to see WTO do well. It's Mostly just, because you know, we need to your bills, you know, some of us, some of us are eating, you know, on the basis of whether it does well or not, but you know, let's I, see. I, I think, I think taking a really broader 30,000 foot view, I thought, and I guess this is just an open question. I'm not sure, but I'm wondering these last couple of years, if this is not a blip or if it's more a reversion to the mean, sorry, it has the last 20, 30, 40 years of, of trade negotiations and free trade, quote unquote, the way we've seen it, at least, is that an anomaly over the previous, you know, 50 to 100 years of how trade itself has been used on a global scale? Or is this a, a temporary blip? I'm really not sure. I think it raises lots of those important questions. I think as long as the political situations in the US and, for example, the UK remain the same, I don't see how this ends well, 
Well, at least, yeah, not from my I think that's a fair point. You have sure to say the post to the post World War II kind of bread and woods free trading system. So, so the 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 fact the kind of common way to describe it is the U.S. didn't do it because the U.S. believes in free trade. We did it. We we helped guide the creation of this system because we thought it was to our advantage. So the U.S. was never really you know giving market access because we were such good guys, but because again we saw a financial gain and other kinds of gain in it. And mm, now we don't point. see it. Is, is that that's a good point? Is that Vladimir Putin's biography? I see behind He's calling, you on the bookshelf. Can I just? He's calling. No, these are, of course, the, the, these are Americans. You know, we've had people on our show. I can't remember who it was who, who said this, that, you know, it's not mm. about, it has never been about free trade. It's been about U.S. economic interests, which is fine. Now, this is also part mm. of the system. And, but I think we were, we're going to see, we're going to be testing now whether the U.S. is going to manifest its interest this way in order to support, reform, reinforce the institution mm. or whether it's going to continue to undermine it in different ways. Mm. If, you know, or if you see it that way, or, or if you see, you know, you could see it the way, you know, Lighthizer would say, holding the institution to what it said it would do, keeping its mandate where it should be, working on only negotiated outcomes, not adjudicated outcomes and so on. So it, mm. it depends on how you see it. But I do think, you know, you've, op- you've opened this gate to, uh, you know, such a huge exception that I don't know how you close it again. I guess we'll have a lot to talk about in 2023. 2023. It's coming up. Here's to not falling while you're skiing or not it's skiing exactly. at all this year, at least. Can you please stay off the slopes this year? I, I, I will definitely for this year, if, if not for my own health's sake. 2024, maybe it's a different story. We'll see how it goes. You're fully authorized yeah. for opera ski. I mean, go up there, you know, nap during the day so, you get, so you're fully rested and then put your ski boots on, yeah. walk over to the bar and start it up. I don't know if this is sad. Or, or not, but the biggest night I had this year was in when I was in New York and I had four beers the whole night. So dinner and the bar after, four beers the whole night with copious amounts of water in between. And then a so real bad headache. Think, yeah, for the next half a day was was pretty much kaput. You're 16 again. It's, it's wonderful, it's beautiful. <laughs> I'm like Benjamin Button. I'm like starting from old and just getting younger as I go. <laughs> I'm Benjamin Button, but less good looking than Brad Pitt. Oh, and stop taller. being modest, come on. I'm taller though. Got good hair just like he has. I have better hair than he does. It's not Botox. That brings us to our favorite part of what will be this episode, and that is the retrospective and the big five for the year that was 2022. And we'll be looking back on our popular trades planning predictometer, our performance ratings, essentially, on the things we said would happen or could happen, or we put clauses in there that may or may not happen, depending on some certain variables like any good economist. So to start it off with, we talked about the end of COVID. We, we started the year saying, we started the year in another wave, which was canceling events. And we have to go to sort of what Rob likes to call the forget about it mode, as they say on Staten Island. We're ending it in a different note with all the news coming out of China and what is regarded as the worst COVID outbreak of any country since 2019. So it looks like the year will be ending like it started. On the prediction scale, I think, I don't know, how how, how would you rate this one, Rob? Well, for me, we... I think we, we stopped making predictions at that point. We're getting a little bit bored, but it's true at the end of last year, we were, there was Omicron, I think it was. So we were, you know, everything was being wiped off the map. Then I think mm-hmm. everybody, including public health authorities, got super bored with it, especially mm-hmm. in the West, as you say. So we just ripped the masks off. We went skiing again. We started taking airplanes again. And, and I think you're, you know, you're right that we totally looked at it from a Western, you know, Switzerland, US, Western Europe point of view. 
I would just say everybody except China perspective. Yeah, but developing world, we don't know what's what what's going to race through there again. We never really, you know, got a sense of that. And uh, that's a fair point. And now you're right. We, well, we had we had, they had the zero COVID policy actually had supply chain implications. We'll talk about that in a second. And yeah. and now it's coming through. And I guess the you know again we had we're we're it's 2020 all over again. What are the Chinese statistics and how do they measure somebody who died from COVID? Apparently, only ten people died from COVID so far. And that's catastrophic. We need to close down Shanghai. Yeah, they did. In any case, the next one would be on supply chain, on the supply chain crisis and this rise of quote unquote reshoring. Is that, or is that like should, a Jersey shoring already? We call that a fist bump. That's where I'm from. Poly D and, and, all, and all the rest. For those of you who have no idea what I'm talking about, just Google Jersey Shore. There's only, I think most of them are from Staten Island. They're not actually from Jersey, but that's neither here nor there. So we've been talking a lot and it's given us a lot to talk about. And that is this rise of reshoring, the backlogs that we've seen waiting nine months for your bicycle to the impending supply chain collapse, which never happened. Ships blocking the Suez Canal, literally blocking the port of the Chesapeake Bay. I think we talked about it so much. We got most of it right. I don't know. Where would you rank this, Rob? I would put it at least a seven. I think you may have. Yeah, totally. I I think we did. I think we called it at the, it was the very end of last year with the, started off with the computer chips, went, you know, all the way through the system. And then even this last June, you predicted the supply chain bust that's now happening because there were already some indicators of dropping freight rates and everything. And now they're taking shits out of, because, because, and it was all driven by demand. Like we said, nothing wrong with supply chains. It's just, you're buying three bicycles instead of one. I was right about something for once. I, I think touching on this China issue we talked about before, it'll be interesting to see now with China reopening eventually over the coming, let's say, Q1 of 2023, how this subsequently affects the supply chains once again. Also, in terms of inflation, China's a huge consumer of energy, food sources, things like this. So how will this affect already strained supply chains in terms of food and energy? I think Europe is already struggling. The developing world has been struggling with, with food prices, things like this. So how will this be changed by China coming back online, so to speak, once they eventually get out of this horrific wave, I think is an interesting yeah, one to watch. We also, we've heard about near shoring, you know, friend shoring and so on. It hasn't, statistically hasn't happened yet. Mm. So some, some manufacturing radiating out of China to nearby countries, but it's not coming back to the U.S. As far as I can tell, it's not coming back to no. the U.S. In my work, I've heard inquiries of moving, for instance, apparel production to North Africa, you know, in terms of where the actual money and, and production is going, it's just not there yet. You saw early that Apple was moving to India. Apple was moving to Vietnam. That's continued. So I think mm. you also got that right. I, hear, I, I I really don't like saying that. I'm patting myself on the back as we speak is that, for listeners is that, out that there. Is? That smacking you here is not Rob hitting I'm me, afraid I'm going to have to say, I'm going to have to bring up then, you know, just to balance this, an area where maybe, maybe you didn't get it, just didn't get exactly as right. So you remember last year we stopped with, is inflation the- a thing already? Would you like to, would you like to tell us what your answer was? Okay, to be fair, all I said was, what's the big deal? How bad could it be? What's a little inflation? Forget about it. Hey, that's because I was putting my economist hat on and forgetting that it's all psychological, where everybody raises rates, raises their prices on everything because prices are rising is in the zeitgeist. Am I right? Like Bitcoin. I mean, I, yes, I, I, am, I am an economist in a way. I did do economics at school and I'm, you know, a kind of an amateur you know, but when that's, I, when, that's how you can tell somebody who knows economics when they say, I did economics at school. I did economics at school. Not a lot, but, but then you say to me, okay, I'm going to put, you know, every hour, another trillion dollars into the economy, but that's not the reason for inflation. So don't worry. We're going to keep pouring that in. We're going to have zero cost of money. We're going to have negative interest rates on savings. We're going to punch you in the face until you spend more. 
But that's not why we had inflation. I just don't buy it. Of course there's inflation. Now, the question was, could it get it? Could we have imagined it would get as high as it is? 7% is seen as a good indication in the markets. Mm. This is insane. Mm. As mm. I told you, this is, this hasn't been since my parents had like a, they had a mortgage that was at 12% in the late seventies. It's crazy. Hey, I, I was insane, insane, partially because I'm an American in Europe. I was insane for locking in a rate of 3%. Now I look like a genius, Warren Buffett. I look like Warren Buffett right now. I look like the, I look like the sage of Omaha. You do look like him. Your hair is thinning a bit. You got a McDonald's and a Coke in the background. Thank you very much. Anyway, I really appreciate that. Artie was finally wrong about something. So I'll admit it. Zero Rob was right because Rob was actually around when the, in the 1920s, Wehrmacht Germany, when hyperinflation was a thing. So he's seen this before. I also, on that note, you had mentioned that putting these trillions of dollars into the economy is, is the main reason for inflation. I think that's more the light that set out that set off the kerosene that was already being spilled for the past 10 years with low interest rates. I don't know if if inflation, if, if the stimulus act and things like this that you had seen during 2020 would have necessarily raised inflation to 7%. I think it was a perfect storm of, of things coming together at the end of a decade in which, you know, negative interest rates were a normal part of life and previously unseen before. So I think we have to factor that in as well. It's not just Trump's fault. I think there's two, also two things we want to talk about. One is for those who are, you know, new, you know, a lot of people who are listening are relatively new to economics and so on. The, and for us, it's new to experience the idea of inflationary expectations. So that's why the Fed and all the central banks are whacking people with high interest rates is to change just what you mentioned, that mentality. If prices are mm. going up, then prices shouldn't go up. How do you break the spiral? And that's, I, I, and they've broken the I, back, for instance, of, the, of a very, very strong U.S. market, U.S. housing market with these inflation rates. They, they said it's akin to 2008-9 in that, in that market. Yeah. So this is how you get people out of that. And still, people's wage demands are, are still very strong in the U.S. Again, this is something that we've kept stressed for the past 40 years. So it's just, again, as a culminated in a bit of a perfect storm. So wages started to rise at the same time that we had lockdowns and stimulus right after 10 years of, of low interest rates. So it all really came together in a George Clooney-esque perfect storm. That's a shout out to that, that great movie. I saw on the plane back to, to Geneva. In any case, but I digress. I am digressing, and now I am regressing Regress, onto ingress, geo, ingressing. Excuse me, ingressing into geopolitics and the protectionism, which has we've seen on the, has been on the rise the past couple of years, but especially in 2022. So we've got the Chips Act, Russian sanctions. Don't forget Russia's invasion of Ukraine, which has put a spam in the works of lots of things, and even instrumentalizing the fertilizer shipments by Morocco has been headlining a a tipping point that we've seen towards a more fragmentation of markets. And we've already seen this as, as countries look to, as I predicted would happen and Rob did not, countries look to capitalize on moving their production outside of China. So I would say it's a solid 9.8 out of 10 for me on this one. Geopolitics, we were talking about even at the beginning of the year. You're right. I think we did. We did foresee this and maybe it was easy to foresee. You keep saying we a lot. You're saying we a lot for this one. I was the one looking at the, at the fragmentation of global markets related to WTO and WTO policy. And trade Whatever policy and trade. You're using lots of big words and I don't like it. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, and, and, it, and then we asked one of our guests, I think it was Chad Bohm. We asked him, is it a thing? Like, was it always this way? Was there always this kind of geopolitical interference? He said, no, it is more. Mm. It's more. Mm. So, mm. and I think that's one of the big developments. Again, you say we look back on 2022. It's, one, it, it's become obvious. Protectionism, mm. rifts in WTO. We've seen reactions to the, to the Russian invasion. And by the way, a lot of countries we thought, you know, the U.S. thought would be supportive in various votes 
didn't. Nope. They abstained because we're seeing it's just, yeah. you know, it, it be, because it's becoming important, you know, to stay connected with both sides. They're not going to say, well, okay, you know, US will support you on anti Russia votes. We need to stay connected to both sides, all three sides, if you want to bring in China, so we can we can serve all three markets. Now we're going to another development that maybe a push, like a like a, a want it to be aspirational development, is the is unions and labor movements are back again, partially this, driven, you know, by the the labor shortages, by increasing in wages, by increasing in their kind of leverage, their bargaining power, and we know the epicenter for this was obviously Staten Island. Yep. Oh, you. Yo, dude, Staten Island strong. So, you know, what do you think? I think so. We 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 followed it, and maybe we were maybe it was a little bit of selection bias. We were looking for stories where unions were becoming stronger. We've seen it in UK. We've seen it in the US, where the union movement has really been sad and very mm. declining. You know, Starbucks organizations, Amazon warehouses. What do you think? I am hopeful that union this sort of rise in unions or their relevancy will continue. I'm a little bit circumspect that this will last, that it's not just a consequence of the times we're living in. So labor's bargaining power has risen, and that obviously means that unions are in the the middle of this. They're exerting their leverage a bit more, and it seems to have finally come back. I don't know if it's come back to the level it should have been having stopped for the past 40 years, at least in the U.S. I'm just not sure it could last. I'm hopeful it does, but I think this is something, this, this is a bubble that will pop if and when the unemployment starts to go up in the U.S., I think employers will have more bargaining power once again, as there'll be more jobs to go around and, and fewer employees. Right now, it's very much the opposite. It doesn't seem to be going down, but I think when it eventually does, it'll be something that we're talking about, sort of, we'll, ha- we'll see headlines once again about the death of unions and, and things like this, which are melodramatic, I would say, but... Yeah, you know, and, think, we, and we had great yeah. high hopes of real wages coming back. That was one of the mm. things that we were kind of monitoring. With inflation where it is, real wages are not back. So there's mm-hmm. been a lot of erosion of that, that at the beginning when inflation hasn't, hadn't quite got there, but they were having to bid up a lot of, you know, a lot of wages, especially, you know, the sort of Amazon warehouse people and folks at Dunkin' Donuts were getting 15 and $20 an hour, which was visible to us. I'm sure that the pressure was, was that was rippling through even white collar jobs. Yeah. Now, just for, when you do the arithmetic, it's not, it's not really working on the, on the real wage side. So he, I think we he, need to get out of this segment. Immediately. I think we're done with this segment. I think this segment is <laughs> I think done this with us. Been fantastic, but I, I think, think it's we, been tremendous. Let's make a promise in December 2023 to see how these trends have evolved. Yeah. So how do we get out of here? We just we're just going to leave. Let's just let's just do the Irish goodbye and leave this segment, and people segment will eventually know finished. that. Good good night, and to all thank a good you, night. Thank you, Chairman Mao Scrooge. What do you think is going to be the biggest thing in 2023? Quickly, supply chains. Inflation. Oh, I think boy. we're going to see more of more of geopolitics taking center stage. I don't see this ending before least or starting to subside before the you know before the end of the second before Q two of twenty twenty four. I think this will put us all on edge. What happens to WTO? How does WTO respond? There are not many, for example, things they can take or things they can do that will alleviate the situation because as you quite rightly pointed out, they're not there to adjudicate national security issues, even though these keep being raised by by certain countries. So I, again, this is my cynical side, which is most of me. I don't see this getting better anytime soon, at least in the next couple of months. So for me, that's my big definitely, you know, we predicted energy Armageddon in Western Europe. I predict there's Mm. not going to be any crisis at all. That's going to be a not solely a non-issue which is less leverage for the Russians. But, uh, you know, once once, uh, demand went down, 
supply chains didn't become a problem anymore. And, and in my view, the energy crisis is not going to be. So, and if, any, if anything happens over the next couple of days that makes any of these predictions false, edit. Delete. Delete. Control, alt, delete. Well, folks, that wraps up episode 41 brought to you by the year 2022. May she rest quietly in our memories. And in our hearts. I'm, I'm glad it's done. No more skiing. We also want to thank our executive producer, Michelle Ogin and Melatina Saponara for highlighting the vibe shift as well as helping and produce this and every TS episode. As we always mentioned, please don't forget to subscribe to this podcast if you haven't done so already. Make sure you catch our next episode coming out very, very soon. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or really anywhere else you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Rob does read them all, so please be gentle. He is a fragile heart and mind. You can also follow us on Twitter at Tradesplaining or on Instagram at Trade.Splaining. Or just email us your questions, comments the old-fashioned way at trade.splaining at gmail.com. We no longer accept Carrier Pigeon because of the new Geneva Iron Feather program that has been recently put in place. And folks, remember, listen, listen responsibly. responsibly.